1: Lots of possibilities, many good ones, a few not so good ones, but uh, we are all in this together. <laughs> I'm sorry, it sounds just as, as phony and hollow when I say it as when, when some government paid, you know, spinmeister is putting that out there. Nonetheless, I'm glad you are joining us today. This is a place where wrong thinkers can find refuge, courage and camaraderie, a chance to own your own worldview and to think more clearly and independently about the world around us. I have great sponsors who make this program possible. A quick mention of each of them, ModestelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, HSLAmmo.com, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, and last but not least, GovernYourIncome.com. All right, let's start with something fun. I woke up this morning feeling uh, I had a little frog in my throat, a little stuffy nose, and of course, you know, like most people, I had to stop and ponder, oh, boy. Is this it? Could it be that I have the Omicron, you know, version or variant of uh, of COVID? Sorry, but, you know, anybody coughs or sneezes, right? We all kind of, oh, man, there it is. You know, the plague, it's here. So I decided to check and see if there were any uh, symptoms that I could Google and just see if, in, in fact, you know, whatever I was feeling was was matching up. And uh, this is courtesy of, uh, uh, oh, what is his name? J.D. The long-haired, red-headed dude, the funny guy. Anyway, Awaken with JP. This is this is from his account. Uh, other symptoms of Omicron. And I read this and I thought, man, I'm in trouble. If you have any of these symptoms, chances are you've got the virus or will get it very very soon. Symptoms include mild hunger between meals, feeling cold outside in the winter when not wearing a coat, Tiredness at night. Ooh, I get that one a lot. Thirst after a long period of not drinking. Heartburn after three alarm chili. A difficulty looking directly at the sun. Sweating while exercising. See, that's why I don't exercise. I don't want to. I don't want to know. Uh, dizziness while hanging upside down. Or if you have an inability to see in the dark. Last but not least, if uh, water feels wet on your skin, any of these symptoms might be an indicator that you have the Omicron virus. All right, now it may sound like, Brian, are you making light of something that's very serious and that requires us to do extraordinary things that we normally wouldn't do? Well, I am kind of making fun of it, but but I'm making fun of it because of all the different variants and of all the scary things that have happened over the last couple of years, I don't think anything has been as overblown as the, the fear peddling and the fear porn attached to this Omicron variant. I mean, people have lost their minds. In fact, uh, there's a term we're going to be talking about today, mass formation psychosis. In fact, we're going to spend a fair amount of time talking about Dr. Robert Malone in the uh, second hour of the show. I don't know if you've heard of his recent interview with Joe Rogan. I mean, consider Rogan, when he interviews guests, these are in-depth interviews, three hours long, and a lot of people are, oh, I don't have that kind of time, I'm a busy person. But if you want to have a good information bank from which to draw, this is something you're going to have to get used to is sometimes it's worth paying the price to sit down and listen to the whole three hours. I mean, come on, if you have to drive somewhere, you can listen to the podcast, uh, you know, instead of watching. I mean, it's just how important is it to you to be informed? I mean, would you rather somebody just kind of spoon feed you the pre-digested, pre-chewed talking, you know, points and and sound bites that, okay, this is what I'm supposed to believe. Man, I sure I sure don't resonate with that. And I'm hoping you don't either. But the bottom line is Joe Rogan and in this case, Dr. Robert Malone, I think they've actually broken Google's algorithm. And especially Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> Twitter is one of one of the big trending terms right now is mass psychosis or mass formation psychosis, something uh, Dr. Malone talks about. We'll get to that. OK, I, I don't want to start out because it, it may raise your blood pressure when you realize how intensely and how openly we are being lied to and manipulated in order to to force our compliance or to to force us to acquiesce to the demands of people who want us to do whatever. So let's start with something a little more positive, okay? We have, a, we have a new year in front of us. And I'm going to start with something here from Paul Rosenberg. And it's a meditation for 2022. This is kind of a deep thought, but here's a question for you. What are you doing today that will benefit people a thousand years from now? I know it's pretty lofty, right? But it's an invitation to appreciate the people who came before us, as well as a chance to consider what we might do for the people who will follow in our footsteps. Paul Rosenberg says if you could go back in time a thousand years, you'd find people who were shockingly similar to those you presently love. The same is true for people who will live a thousand years from now. Some of them will be nearly identical to the people you now love and you would care as deeply for them as you do for their present day counterparts. Now he says, please understand this. The men, women and children we would love in the future can advance only in the same way we have, which is by the benefaction of their predecessors. Can you imagine how long it took for ignorant men to learn the rules of metallurgy or crop rotation or a hundred other things we can barely imagine being without? His point is our lives are advanced only because they created new ways of living and passed them down to us. Hundreds of generations lived through dark times fighting toward whatever bits of light they could find opposed by others nearly the entire way in order to bring us to where we are now. And whether you like to think about this or not, <clears throat> someday our generation will also be gone. And we will have played, whether or not we've understood it, the crucial role of transmitting civilization to the following generations. So what do we want them to be like? How would we want them to live? Numberless men and women struggled into the future and spent all they had in order to bring us here. And Paul Rosenberg says we owe them something. Now, it may be that they no longer care, but... Their gifts to us will cease to exist unless we pass them along. Only we can make them matter. And he says they deserve to matter. So we now stand at the threshold of the stars, but we've been held back by structures designed to control us and to reap from us. And we must get past those structures in order to continue forward. Now, foolishness and fear bid us to forget the future. In, order, in other words, chase status instead of goodness, consumption rather than production, and comfort rather than expansion. A thousand self-serving voices call us aside, grasping at our emotions. And Paul Rosenberg says we must turn away from all of it. We owe this to the people of the past. We owe it to the people of the future. We owe it to ourselves. But here's the key. What happens next is up to you. It's not up to leaders. It's up to you. The consequences of your failures are inescapable. The consequences of your successes, likewise, are inescapable. And whether or not you acknowledge them, our descendants will live or die by them. So what you are and what you do matter a very great deal. And he finishes with this call to engage your will, act, and awake. I like that last part especially. And that's really that is what this show is about. This program is is not about uh, <clears throat> building the largest most most amazing audience in in the history of humankind. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd be happy if that if that uh, is what happened. But I'm not counting on it. I think I have a duty to to try to Speak the truth as best I know how to bring you the truth that others are trying to get out there in the face of uh, forces that are working very hard to keep them quiet or at least keep them in the shadows where not very many people can can examine them. Got my first taste of that last week when YouTube was like, Mr. Hyde, you are uh, guilty of medical misinformation peddling and, you know, gave me a warning about uh, something in one of my episodes. I don't know specifically what it was because frankly i thought i'd been doing my job well and most of what i'm saying is challenging those artificial uh limits on what you're allowed to believe and what you aren't but i think there's never been a time where it was where it's more essential more critical that we be awake that doesn't mean afraid and it doesn't mean angry but simply aware i know a lot of people kind of get a little bit of a rush out of putting their they're pronouns. My personal pronouns are here in my bio, as you can see. And I think the best personal pronouns that I've seen within recent memory, somebody had put, uh, you know, instead of him, he, you know, as, as there's pronouns, it was awake and concerned. <laughs> yep. That's pretty much where I am, too. See, once you're aware, once you're awake, it's pretty hard to go back to sleep. And for some people, that's a pretty uncomfortable thought. I get that. I've been there myself. Wishing I could close my eyes, wishing I could go back to the comfort and ignorance, uh, the bliss of ignorance. That's not what the world needs right now. What the world needs is for you and me to have our eyes open, our spines steely, and the courage to keep moving forward toward truth, regardless of the forces around us. So we'll do that right after the break.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, just a quick aside here. If you would like to receive my show notes in your email inbox, all you have to do is go to my website, thebrianhydeshow.com, and click the subscribe button. It'll ask you for your email. I do not sell your email to any third parties or anything like that. All I will do is when I publish my show notes, which I do each day that I do this program, it will automatically send a copy to your inbox. That way, if you're not really into, you know, listening to me doing what I do, you can at least follow the links yourself and, and weigh it out for yourself. At no point am I insisting that you're going to have to believe this because I posted it. Nope. you It's your mind. You get to make up, you know, what, what you accept and what you don't. See, that's the difference between me and, uh, I guess, the people who would like to censor and otherwise shape what information you're allowed to see and hear. I trust that you're smart enough. You can make your own choices. And, hey, maybe your choices. you know what, Brian, I'm just not uh, feeling the love here, so goodbye. That's fine. I'm speaking for those people who are looking for truth. In fact, for whom truth is more important than comfort, that personal comfort and that sense of, ah, everything's great. Things aren't that bad. So with that in mind, let's, let's move on ahead. A lot of folks are breathing a sigh of relief right now saying, oh, we've got a new year ahead of us. And, you know, it's, it's understandable a lot of folks are engaging in a bit of self-examination, working on improving themselves. I, look, I'm among them. I, I've been giving very serious thought to what, what might I do better or do with more purpose in this coming year? Well, here's a novel suggested by uh, Rustic Mama from the Organic Prepper site. And that is, 2022 is a fine year to work on standing up to bullies. And one of the bullies you're going to have to stand up to is the one that lives inside your own head. Listen to what Rustic Mama says. She says, you know what I hate? I hate bullies. Really, there are several other things I hate as well. Injustice, living in a mess, although I love getting my hands dirty, rudeness, unnecessary and uncalled-for criticism, selfishness, cantaloupe. Yes, cantaloupe, I loathe it. I'd rather starve than eat it. But she says, mostly, I hate bullies. I hate watching a fellow human being who's been made in the image of God And who deserves to live in freedom and dignity, being beaten down to the point where they've lost all hope and sense of self-worth. Now, she says, I've been there and done that. And after 22 plus years, I left his sorry butt and slowly, gradually, painfully, and with the help of a few good people, fought my way back to live a life of strength and deep personal conviction that I do deserve every single positive thing in my life. But she says, I've been seeing a lot of bullying these days, lots of it. And it's not just the type of bullying from one person against another, one political movement to another, or one social group against another. Although a lot is that. She says, what I'm seeing is bullying that we are inflicting on ourselves inside our own head. And she says, and I hate bullies. So this is what self-bullying sounds like. My life will never get back to normal. Why should it? I don't deserve it. This sucks. How about this one? I'll never feel loved again after losing, insert the name of friend or loved one, lost in the last two years. Now she says we've all lost someone we love and we don't sometimes allow ourselves to move through the natural stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance into a life of hope. Happy New Year. What's there to be happy about? I've lost my job. My family won't speak to me because they or I have not taken certain medical procedures. I have no money left, crap will hit the fan and I'll die because I won't be ready. The world's chaotic, I hate, insert the name of public figure, I'm afraid all the time. What's there to be happy about? And this last one's probably the most common one that I think uh, I hear in my head. I'm so exhausted. I can't take this anymore. Well, Rustic Mama says, well, you consider your own internal bully dialogue. She goes, I'm going to put a kettle on so we can have a chat. I'll give you a minute. She says, a few years ago, I had the supreme pleasure of traveling to Croatia with a bunch of strangers who are now among my closest friends to learn survival lessons. From Toby and Selko, two men who have lived through extremely tough times. Now, every lesson was valuable, she says, but one of the most life-changing for me was the lesson of dealing with what goes on inside my head. Propaganda, Selko said, there will be lots of propaganda. You won't always know what is truth. Believe it or not, propaganda exists inside our heads as well. Happy New Year is, in my humble opinion, one of those sources of such propaganda. She says, riddle me this, what makes January 1st any different from March 2nd or June 20th? Why do we make promises to ourselves and sometimes to others that we often forget a week later? Why do we put so many expectations on ourselves for things to be different next year? Won't we still be surviving the same challenges, the same difficulties in the same body with the same mindset? If we choose to, yes. But what if we chose something different? Not because it's a happy new year, but because we decided to stand up to our own bully. So here are some strategies that may help you survive your own bully, regardless of what the next 365 days bring. These are really great suggestions, by the way. Number one, do not isolate yourself. Now, she says, I don't give a flying flip what your local restrictions are, because with the use of that device you're probably reading these words on, you can reach out in numerous ways to your fellow human beings. Focus on FaceTiming or phone calls like in the good old days when we could hear each other's voices and see each other's faces instead of letters and emojis on a screen. Call, FaceTime, spend time chatting about your lives. And, of course, there's always the option to practice a bit of civil disobedience and visit with people anyway. Secondly, she suggests shut off or severely limit your social media accounts in favor of real-life relationships. Now, modern technology is a wonderful thing, but it doesn't and shouldn't replace real-life relationships. For instance, she says, at the start of this uh, thing going on, my dearest and closest friend of 20 years was dying of brain cancer. For my own mental well-being and in order to be fully available for her, I all but shut down my social media accounts and blocked anyone I hadn't spoken to or seen for a while or I didn't know in real life. Now that simple step, she says, took a huge load off me both mentally and emotionally while providing some level of help in the midst of enormous grief. Real relationships are based on truth, not a keyboard. And of course, they are possible via technology. In fact, she says, I met my current husband two decades ago while we lived 9,500 miles apart and we've remained happily married to this day, but in balance. Find your balance. Next, she suggests, find and keep your own moral compass. Be authentic. Stay humble. She says, when I looked into Selko's eyes in Croatia, I saw peace where I thought I should see anger and the circumstances he endured. I saw calm where I expected to see chaos. I saw humility and a gentle willingness to teach and be open about his circumstances when it would not have surprised me to see arrogance and pride. Who we are, how we live, the choices we make all come from the core of our being. And many of us have no clue who that is. We live from one media crisis or family drama to the next like little paper boats being tossed about in the ocean and then wonder why our minds are in such anguish. She says, believe me, the tougher our world becomes to deal with, with supply shortages and financial pressures, health issues, higher crime, etc., the more critical it will be for each of us to stay committed to the values to which we are already committed. If you don't have values, then God help us all, because our society needs people of moral conviction. In fact, she says, can I suggest reading Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? She also recommends surround yourself with people of character like yourself even if that means keeping others at a distance. Stay healthy physically, mentally, and spiritually in whatever way that is for you. Now, in this case, she says, I'm a person of faith. I believe we all are in some way or another, but that can be difficult in these rapidly evolving times to stay focused on healthy habits and positive vibes. She says, I escaped my bully one morning in 2000, but it took years to evict him from inside my head. It's a lifelong process. She also says, keep it simple, spend time outdoors regularly. I think these are all pretty good suggestions. Now, here's the good news I have a link to this article in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Click on that, enjoy yet another resource for my fellow wrong thinkers, and stay close. We'll be back just the other side of these messages.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show.
1: Just sending a quick message out there on behalf of lifesavingfood.com. This is one of my great sponsors. Yes, they sell food storage and other emergency preparedness things That you might find handy, you know, just on the off chance that somehow, some way, our world were ever to become slightly unstable. And you can get a nice little discount, 15% off with no sales tax and free delivery. Just click on the link that I provide in the show notes. Again, it's lifesavingfood.com. So like me, I bet you're probably relieved to think that, hey, we've got this whole new year ahead of us and we're breathing a sigh of relief. Well, thank goodness 2021 was over. Um, I'm not obsessed with celebrity deaths, but I will admit when Betty White passed away on New Year's Eve, I was like, oh, man, (laughs) that is that's such a bummer. She was, I think, 17 days away from her uh, 100th birthday. And then she was gone. And I heard a couple of people say, well, if you wanted to be the most toasted individual of history, that's the way to do it. Live to almost 100 and then die on New Year's Eve, you know, because everybody's going to raise their glass in your memory that night. I don't think she was doing it out of selfishness or anything, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's quite a milestone. Now, 2021's gone, but before we let the year that was, the year that was, rather, get too far downstream, Clarice Feldman reminds us there are still a few loose ends that we ought to tie up first. She says, what an awful year this was. I was sincerely hoping, or I sincerely hope rather, that the coming year is better. So here are a few loose ends that need clearing up as that dreadful year drops off into memory. The first is to hold public health authorities responsible for the mess they made. Professor Glenn Reynolds, she says, has my vote for holding them accountable. They lied to us, manipulated us for political purposes, and completely betrayed our trust. He summarizes their acts, and there's a nice link to that, and argues it's time for a rigorous investigation, perhaps a truth and reconciliation commission with subpoena power, to get to the bottom of how our public health authorities have mismanaged this pandemic. There's certainly no chance that the existing establishment will do so. Now, Cheryl Atkinson offers a more complete 57-count indictment of our public health officials' conduct, concluding that they depended completely on vaccination, which has proven a total failure as a record number of people were vaccinated, a record number of people have gotten COVID. In fact, she shares Cheryl Atkinson's list in its entirety, just to remind you of how substantially they abused our trust. I'll work through a few of these. I'm going to leave some, though, for you to discover for yourself. Number one on that list, funded dangerous gain-of-function research with our adversary China using U.S. taxpayer money in order to create vaccines and other medicine. Number two, denied such funding had occurred. Number three, claimed the lab theory was debunked when it hadn't even been investigated. Number four, allowed China not to cooperate with the pandemic investigation. Never imposed serious sanctions or repercussions for non-cooperation. Number five, failed to disclose their own role in the gain-of-function research while publicly <clears throat> debunking U.S. involvement in it. Number six, claimed to have public officials make statements and published papers claiming the lab theory had been debunked when it hadn't been. Number seven, encouraged the censorship of factual information on the news and the Internet. We're going to be spending a lot of time talking about that next hour. Number eight, claimed it would take years for for the first COVID-19 vaccine to be released. Number nine conspired to con- con- tra- controversialize scientists, researchers, and journalists who tell the truth about various aspects of COVID and the vaccines. Now, from here, I'm going to stop listing the numbers because it just it comes pretty rapid fire, but these are the same public health officials who falsely claimed certain gatherings, such as the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, were super spreader events when they were not. They distorted and and exaggerated statistics to make it appear as though people were infected at events when they were not. They sent COVID-infected elderly from hospitals to nursing homes where they mass-infected other vulnerable residents. They told us masks don't work. They told us masks do work. They required wearing of masks. They recommended wearing of more than one mask. They failed to wear masks themselves when required. They said kids don't need masks. They said kids must mask. They said kids don't need to be vaccinated because their risk is so small. Then they said kids must be vaccinated because their risk is so great. They told people to isolate at home, even though that's how most COVID cases are spread. Closed parks, beaches, and outdoor venues, even though COVID rarely, if ever, is transmitted outside. They arrested people for being outside unmasked, even though they were among the safest population. They falsely claimed that early vaccine studies showed that those with natural immunity from prior infection benefit from vaccination. They covered up the estimate of of the number of naturally immune for many months. They closed schools against the advice of many scientists, distorting education for a generation of students. They conspired to censor scientists, reporters, and others who report factually on COVID therapeutics and vaccine issues. They overcounted COVID cases and deaths by counting people with COVID but who were not sick from COVID. They shut down and destroyed the economy without improving the COVID situation. They caused the firing of people who cannot get or choose not to get vaccinated, even though they may have natural immunity or medical conditions that prevent them from taking vaccine risks. They blanket recommended vaccination for people who are at high risk of adverse events like heart inflammation and blood clots. And then falsely claimed vaccines prevent COVID infection. Falsely claimed vaccines prevent COVID spread. Falsely claimed vaccinated do not get sick with COVID. Falsely claimed vaccinated do not get hospitalized or die of COVID. They claimed that the vaccinated who get ill with COVID would be sicker if not vaccinated when there is no evidence that's the case with any individual. They failed to provide informed consent and warn of COVID-19 vaccine side effects prior to administration. They claimed vaccines are highly effective. They claimed vaccines work well against variants. They recommended up to four shots in one year because of vaccine ineffectiveness while claiming vaccines are highly effective. I'm sure YouTube's going to be going nuts over this, by the way. They also ignored the power of natural immunity and the hundreds of studies supporting it. They punished medical doctors who prescribe therapeutics. They punished scientists who researched therapeutics. They used the power and size of the federal government to bully and threaten companies into requiring vaccination despite their ineffectiveness in preventing COVID infection or spread. They failed to provide or to promote rather effective therapeutics, which can save lives. They withheld and prevented treatment and resources based on political calculations. They downplayed vaccine adverse events. They ignored pleas from vaccine injured to investigate and publicize their cases to prevent other injuries. They exaggerated serious risks from COVID-19, impacted military readiness by uh, firing those who cannot or choose not to get the COVID-19 vaccine, even if naturally immune. They impacted healthcare system capacity by firing those who cannot or choose not to get the COVID-19 vaccine, even if naturally immune. They impacted the first responder industry by firing those who cannot or choose not to get the COVID-19 vaccine, even if naturally immune. Same with the education system. They even recommended vaccination for healthy children and others at near zero serious impact from COVID-19 illness. They failed to discuss potential roles of vitamins, sunshine, exercise, weight control, and a healthy diet. And they mislabeled COVID-19 a pandemic of the unvaccinated in a failed propaganda campaign. That's quite a list. And in this case, you know, Clarice uh, Clarice Feldman says, I need to remind you because every day in every way, including all the advice columns their readers rely on, these failures are ignored and families are told things like it's a good idea to ban the unvaccinated from family gatherings and that the people who refuse them are selfish and putting their children's lives at risk. She says, I cannot recall this country ever falling under such fact free mass hysteria. Now, there's more that that she lists here. She talks about, you know, the uh, George Floyd riots and uh, Jeffrey Epstein and so forth. Uh, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. But the bottom line is stay on your toes this year. She says it's an incre- It's increasingly likely that the Democrats are going to be in deep doo doo in the coming midterm elections. So it's also very likely that every trick in the book will be utilized to get through their blinkered policies and programs in any way possible before the deluge. And by the way, it's not just the Democrats. It's you know, there are there are Republicans. There are Republican bureaucrats or Republican appointed bureaucrats who likewise are very, very eager to escape accountability. So I'd like to see that accountability, not so much as a matter of vengeance, but just as a matter of, let's make it clear, you will not do this again. But most of all, that starts with you making sure that your worldview is, in fact, still connected to reality. And then boldly staking that claim for your life, your mind and your destiny. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a shout out to the
1: Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. I actually talked to a good friend over the weekend. He's been through a lot of changes in his life lately and uh, asked him, hey, how you doing? And among the things he was telling me is, look, hey, my life is settling down. I'm actually actually shopping for a home. And and guess what? He had actually reached out to Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George and uh, was was working on getting himself all pre-qualified. So when the time comes to buy a home, he can jump right in. It's a good idea. Right now, the, the real estate market is still really hopping. Homes don't stay on the market for very long. You can't dawdle. When you find the home of your dreams, your financing has to be squared away right now. This is where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage really shines. Heather has decades of experience. her, Her company has the stability and the clout to help you get the loan that you need without delay. Even if you're just looking to refinance an existing home loan or whether you need a VA loan or a traditional loan or a reverse mortgage, these are the folks you want to talk to. Contact the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage by calling 435-703-4522. You can see them at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Well, if you're looking for a great resource for wrong think, I have to recommend Mary Anna Alice's Substack site. I just discovered this in the last month or so, but I have been reading more and more of her articles, and I'm, I'm impressed. She has a really solid take on what's going on. Her latest on the Ministry of Truth's War on Misinformation, definitely worth your time. I like the subtitle, too. When 2 plus 2 equals 4 is verboten. And some people may think, well, oh, that's an exaggeration. I don't think so. I don't think so. If you if you say something that comes a little too close to the truth or at least a truth that that undermines you know the agenda of those who uh, seem determined to call the shots of what you can see or not. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's time to to take a real close look about you know that freedom of expression and why would someone want to limit that? Well, it's a medical misinformation, Brian. We got to protect you from that disinformation out there. Really? Because I can't do that for myself, can I? Well, you don't have to trust us. Sure I do. (laughs) Okay. She actually starts with a quote from uh, Milton Meyer. This is from the book, They Thought They Were Free, The Germans, 1933 to 1945. Free free inquiry on a free platform is the only practice that distinguishes a free from a slave society. That's a good quote. And Margaret Anna Alice says, when I was little, I had a poster of a raccoon with his paw over a kitten's mouth saying, if there's anything I can't stand, it's someone talking while I'm interrupting. In fact, she says, I was notorious for interrupting, asking questions and getting so lost in thought. My mom had an ear doctor test my hearing because I was constantly saying, what? Now that poster came to mind, she says, as I watched the Ministry of Truth campaign against misinformation first roll out. Today's version of that poster would say, if there's anything I can't stand, it's someone's information contradicting my misinformation. That's funny. As we all understand by now, when Mini True, the Ministry of Truth, defines the truth as 2 plus 2 equals 5, then 2 plus 2 equals 4 becomes misinformation. Misinformation. And she says, if you're like me, you probably had more than a few brushes with memory holding and maybe even unpersoning as a result of Big Tech's mass censorship rollout. Not that they'd answer, but she says, I'm tempted to ask the censors, what is the danger if the sources are patently non-credible? Why treat us like infants incapable of assessing the validity of facts for ourselves? If the misinformation is so evidently false, let us see that on our own and the question will be put to rest. Sunlight is the best disinfectant and so on. But yeah, that's precisely the problem, isn't it? Darkness must prevail for their narrative to survive the illuminating exposure of sunlight. Even if the gatekeepers have to blot out the sun, Bill Gates style. She says, a few months ago, I started experimenting with real world attempts to deprogram new normalers on a private platform. I'd say it's about a 70 to 30 cavidian to free thinker ratio not counting those remaining on the sidelines, quietly nodding in agreement, but too cautious to speak out. She says, what I've discovered, based on the failures and successes of others as well as myself, is that it's nearly impossible to gain traction on the science front. Their allegiance to the experts and the mainstream narrative is imbued with a religious fervor. And anyone who voices even the most hesitant of concerns is a heretical, tinfoil, hoax, pandemic conspiracy nut. Plus, any attempt to share compelling evidence from non-mainstream sources results in immediate deletion of the comment with veiled threats of silencing altogether. So the mere mention of Dr. Rainer Fulmick, for example, garners instantaneous eradication, or Dr. David Martin, or Dr. Mike Yeadon, or Dr. Robert Malone or any one of the thousands of reputable, Nobel Prize-winning and otherwise exceptionally credible scientists and medical experts sounding the alarm. Entering into dialogue about fraudulent PCR tests or the perils of the spike, the futility and health risks of mask wearing, the devastation caused by lockdowns, or anything else that requires you to share what they deem misinformation is a losing battle from the start. So, she says, subsequently, I jettisoned that approach and focused on the threat of totalitarianism. I introduced historical primary sources, such as the interviews with ten Nazis conducted shortly after World War II, found in Milton Myers, enthralling They Thought They Were Free, the Germans, 1933-45. Now, of course, any comparison to the Third Reich immediately draws outcries of false equivalencies, so that approach can backfire, too, but she says, the extensive evidence of parallels I provided generated no further pushback. She says, I repeatedly reminded the pitchfork wielders of the humanity, of their dissident neighbors, cited escalating repressions around the world, elucidated the psychological mechanisms by which they are being manipulated, and advised them not to credulously assume that we are immune to tyranny. She says, I directly accused anyone who remained silent during the vilification, persecution, exclusion, incarceration and worse of their unvaccinated neighbors of being no different from ordinary Germans who did not speak out about the treatment of the Jews. Now, this upset many of them, of course, but neither could they deny the nearly verbatim propaganda about the unvaccinated being spreaders of disease when I cited historical examples. She says, I gained a meager amount of traction with one virulent spike pusher. I'll call him Ampleforth. We engaged in several exchanges about stampeding authoritarianism, and he agreed it's a concern, but fears the virus is a more imminent threat and thus worth risking totalitarianism over. And she says, I called out his naivete and presented more evidence of the correlation between our present climate and the rise of tyranny throughout history, which appeared to give him pause for a half second anyway. Now note, She says, I always kept the conversation cordial and respectful, even while I was eviscerating their arguments. Elevating the dialogue to substantive debate and calling out ad hominem attacks, threats and false accusations prevented the conversation from devolving into a shouting match. And she says, my forays into these debates started with a post in which Ampleforth reminded everyone of the site's misinformation policy, given the uptick of cases in the area, to which she responded, Thank you for outlining the misinformation policy. It is exhausting having to apply our critical thinking skills to multiple sources of information in our efforts to distinguish propaganda from facts. How much easier is it to outsource our thinking to politicians, megacorporations, and allied media? Obviously, they have our best interests at heart and would never misinform us. They certainly have never done so in the past. For further details on how to enforce such a policy, see the Ministry of Truth reference manual titled 1984. There's also a video tutorial available for quick reference, followed up by perhaps Biden should follow in Emmanuel Macron's steps and start penalizing anyone without a sanitary pass with a $53,000 fine and a year in jail where they're sure to be deloused. I hear room 101 is available, as are several facilities in neighboring Germanic companies. CNN thinks so. Now, she says, I'll spare you the additional back and forth I had with the author, which we actually managed to keep surprisingly civil, even achieving consensus on topics like the Patriot Act, government surveillance, and corporate data gathering. He proposed that I start a separate topic about this, but I reminded him that posts like that tend to vanish in a matter of hours. Now, she goes into a lot more detail here. Um, this is, uh, her, her articles are quite lengthy, but they're very, very worthwhile. So if you want to check it out, it's margareannaallis.substack.com. I do have a link to this article in the show notes, which you can find at thebryanhideshow.com. That's a pretty simple one to remember. And I'm not telling you, you have to believe everything she writes. I'm just telling you, of all the voices out there that you could consider, she's got a pretty solid take from what I can see. Thanks again for being part of our growing
0: audience of wrong thinkers. This is the Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with Destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show.
1: I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a real battle going on for your mind. And I'm not the one who's standing there wanting to plant my flag and claim your mind is my territory. I'm encouraging you to claim it. Claim it as your own little republic right between your ears. And do not let others take ownership or control of what you think. To that end, you will find a lot of very open questioning about some of the narratives going on around us. And, of course, the difference between narrative and journalism is narratives are simply stories, often full of labels and full of judgment. And, and uh, it's, it's designed to shepherd you in a particular direction or to bring you to a preordained conclusion. I'm asking you to consider things and to trust yourself to be able to sort fact from fiction and to be able to discern what is true and what isn't. To that end, I have some great sponsors who make this possible on a daily basis. One of them is SewingQuiltingCenter.com. That's the Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, Utah, 779 South Bluff Street, a wonderful family-owned business Where you can not only find brother sewing and embroidery machines, baby lock sergers, um, embroidery and sewing machines, and handy quilter, long arm quilting machines, but they also service all of those machines. They can teach you the skills to use those machines. You know, sewing is one of the top hobbies in the country, and it continues to grow and evolve. What you can do today with with a computerized quilting or sewing machine is simply incredible. And they also sell fabric, they sell thread, the cuddle material, which I've heard uh, likened to like the minky couture blankets and so forth. So if you want to get a hold of them, I've got the link to their website there in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Maybe just reach out and give them a shout and tell them, hey, I heard your message. Brian was talking about you. They'll appreciate knowing that it's reaching your ears. Well, I'm going to spend some time in this hour talking about uh, Dr. Robert Malone. And I don't know if you have noticed this, but Joe Rogan is kind of becoming a one-man clearinghouse of unapproved information. I actually worry for the guy. And I, I mean worry for him in the sense of what has happened to Julian Assange, what has happened to Edward Snowden. Joe Rogan's a pretty unassuming guy, right? Uh, you know, he's martial arts, uh, you know, commentator and uh, actor and TV star. Likes to get high and he likes to interview people. But he's actually one of the most honest voices out there today. And regardless of where he may stand on an issue, he is one of the fairest interviewers. In other words, he'll ask penetrating questions, but he gives his guests the opportunity to really answer so a three hour long interview I mean that's that's a chunk of time for his audience to take part in, but I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me and said brian brian you've got to see this interview he does with dr Robert Malone it's worth the three hours that you'll need to watch it i haven't gotten through the entire interview i'm only i'm only partially through it but I would offer this for your consideration the fact that rogan's interviews with um, Dr. Malone and also with dr Peter McCullough another very uh, well-established physician who, uh, for whatever reason, is on the wrong side of the bureaucrats. I guess it's because he's speaking truth that they don't want him to speak. Both of these interviews have been yanked from YouTube and Twitter. You know, in the name of protecting us from medical disinformation. Now, to my thinking, that uh, censorship casts way more doubt on the the people or the entities that are doing the, the censoring than it does on the message of doctors Malone and McCullough. Dr. Malone, as I understand it, was one of the pioneering researchers in our, let's see, let me try this again, mRNA research. And as I understand it, the COVID vaccine is, you know, part of that mRNA research. But Dr. Malone is, is calling out some of the things that we're not supposed to consider, at least according to politicians, according to the uh, medical establishment. And the media, of course, has been going along with this. So I have a link to the interview with Dr. Malone. I hope it's something that you would consider checking out for yourself. But I actually have a commentary here from Dr. Malone that he wrote this weekend about not participating in a lie. And in this, he wonders aloud why doctors haven't been allowed to freely practice medicine, why natural immunity is being downplayed by media and the medical and political establishments. This is what he says. This was uh, published yesterday on uh, zerohedge.com. So it's been a busy week, says Dr. Robert W. Malone. As I prepare for getting on a plane to head back to Virginia from Austin, Texas, I'm taking a moment to try to breathe and to write down some thoughts. Now here he includes a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. The simple step of a courageous individual is to not take part in the lie. One word of truth outweighs the world. Dr. Malone says, yesterday I had to take an antibody test in order to get into the studio in Austin. The good news is that my natural immunity from my last round of COVID is robust, with IgA and even IgM antibodies present. This brings me again to one of my biggest issues with the public policy response. Natural immunity equals or trumps immunity from the genetic vaccines because the natural immune response is broad against all 29 proteins of the SARS-CoV-2 virus and appears to hold up better better against Omicron. This sustained and robust natural immunity also applies to children. And by the way, he has links to each of these claims so that you can, can go further down that rabbit hole if you choose. Now, Dr. Malone says, we all know it. Why won't our government and the mainstream media admit it? Why is it that the CDC website that lists 149 million people having already had COVID-19 in the USA hasn't been updated since October 2nd of 2021? A quick back of the napkin calculation projects at least another 20 to 30 million have had COVID since then. Bringing the number of people who have had COVID to around 170 million. Well, that's well over half the people in the USA. So now we have a more transmissible but weaker version of the virus. and Dr. Malone says we should be celebrating. Over half of us have natural immunity. Over half of us are vaccinated. Unless we are elderly or have significant other comorbidities, we will be fine. For many, if not most, it'll seem just like another cold if we notice it at all. Even the unvaccinated or the COVID-19 naive person should be just fine if they don't have significant comorbidities. Now, of course, one isn't actually allowed to suggest these ideas on many social media platforms. When one can't be at all critical of the government pandemic response or the fear porn. Such talk will get you banned, censored, and branded with a scarlet letter AV, the dreaded anti-vaxxer label. Now, he says, I'm not an anti vaxer but I will wear this label with pride, speaking truth to power always has consequences. So, yes, he says, back to my thoughts on Omicron. Please keep taking that vitamin D3 and get your levels tested if you haven't already. Use a formulation that combines the D3 with vitamins A and K. Please keep up with the zinc, vitamin C and magnesium. Work on weight control, glycemic control and please exercise. All are important, but he says, also celebrate. If you have had COVID-19, Omicron is going to be a milder version. In fact, you may not even know that you were infected. And he goes from here into some focus on the research. And I mean there's there's a lot of uh, medical jargon here, so I'm I'm not going to share a lot of this with you, but I'm going to cut ahead to to where he he uh summarizes what he's sharing here. You know, if you have medical training, this is all going to make a lot more sense than it will to a layperson like me. Now he says Don't let the fear porn get to you. Omicron is coming to a town, village, city, restaurant, or grocery store near you. But for the vast majority of us, we will be fine. We have the tools to fight this more mild variant. There are life-saving treatments. Just work to stay or get as healthy as you can. Eat your vitamins, eat real food, and go get some exercise. And he ends with a quote from F.A. Hayek. emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberty have been eroded. And once they are suspended, it's not difficult for anyone who has assumed such emergency powers to see to it that the emergency persists, Wow, quote. Wow. Sure, it sure has that feel. The people who are in charge, in air quotes, the ones who are calling the shots, they sure don't seem to want to see this crisis come to an end. Dr. Malone says, please share this substack on Twitter if you dare take that risk. <laughs> Otherwise, he says, feel free to share it on any other platform you desire or forward it to your friends. Truth to power. Now, we got a few other ideas that will follow up on this, but uh, Dr. Malone is doing a very good job of breaking the sensor algorithms right now. I'm going to talk about that when
0: we return just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I hope you take
1: the time to visit my webpage, thebrianhydeshow.com. If you do go there, please subscribe and I'll send you my daily show notes. Not only are they a great resource for wrong thinkers, but, uh, you know, for for other talk hosts out there who don't really feel like doing their own show prep. I got you, bro. (laughs) Got you covered. Just, uh, you know, click on that and you'll find some interesting things to talk about. No charge. I'm just doing my part to get that information out there. So, one of the more fascinating commentaries that I've seen on Dr. Robert Malone uh, came from Stacey Rudin, who is one of the writers that I follow on a couple of different, uh, different platforms. And I especially have enjoyed following her on Twitter. Look, I bag on Twitter for their censorship. And sometimes Twitter seems like Thunderdome with, with some of the, the ratio, you know, brutalization that takes place on there. it. Can, it can be a pretty rough place. Twitter can be a pretty rough neighborhood. But used properly a person can find wonderful gems of wisdom and you can learn to avoid the people who are just you know toxic just looking for an outlet some kind of uh, you know negative vampire they don't so much suck your blood as they inject you with whatever negativity they happen to be carrying around it's it's pretty ugly stuff but this this wonderful commentary on Dr Malone came from a series of tweets that Stacy Rudin sent out over the weekend and One of the things she points out is that the the hatchet man journalists who are trying to marginalize physicians who stray from the COVID orthodoxy. They have a real problem trying to figure out what's in it for Dr. Malone. What's in it for Dr. Peter McCullough? What's in it for any of these physicians? And there's tens of thousands of physicians who have said, ooh, I'm questioning, you know, what uh, what we're being told is the official line that we cannot stray from. What's in it for them? That's the that's the mentality behind a lot of this gotcha journalism, and for some reason, I guess they for instance, as you'll see here in in Stacy's article, she she talks about how these these journalists just can't seem to grasp that speaking the truth doesn't always have to be about uh, yeah because somebody paid me to say this. I guess they assume that everybody's as corrupt as they are, so. In her in her uh, Twitter thread, and thankfully there's this wonderful uh, thread reader app that unrolls and basically compiles all of the tweets into a nice, concise article. Stacy Rudin says, Robert Malone says in his Joe Rogan interview that the woke Atlantic writer who smeared him was obsessed with the question, what are you getting for doing this? Who is paying you? Malone said, I do it because it's the right thing to do. And the writer couldn't believe it. Now, she says this recalled to mind my first encounters with pro-lockdown liberals in early March of 2020. And she says these people who I considered friends were furious with me and very stuck on the point. I don't understand what you get by doing this. They couldn't comprehend the moral imperative. Next, she points out that David McCullough, I think she actually means Peter McCullough, is $150,000 in the hole defending his medical license. Scott Atlas was smeared by a hundred of his Stanford colleagues. And many of us taking the contrary view have had a tough ride, she says. We've made zero dollars. Yet people believe the mainstream. And she actually wrote about this in an article which she links to, Who Deserves Your Trust in the COVID Debate? I may actually share that one in in the next segment, so stand by for that. But she says it says a lot about the mindset of people like that Atlantic writer that he can't comprehend a selfless moral act. He can't believe that a human would do such a thing, act against his or her own interest for the sake of the greater good. That's because his own behavior is motivated by the accrual of power in this moment. This is why he has to be part of the majority in an event like COVID. He needs to stay close to power because that's the safest and sets him up optimally to succeed shallowly speaking she says he will be inherently miserable but will cope with or ignore it i have friends that are like this too and i don't think they're evil people i think they're i think they're just playing it safe got a good friend who's uh, insistent that uh, yeah you know the january 6th insurrection somebody called him out on it dude insurrection really that's a talking point for the political elites. That doesn't reflect the reality of what took place on January 6th. And his response is, uh, take that to your own page if you want to do this. Don't be questioning me on this. And it's clear he's just, he's just trying to stay close to the power centers because that's the that's safer route to take. Well, safer, except it comes at the expense of your own conscience and the expense of your own soul. Stacey Rudin says, we can see the results of a society filled with people like pathological narcissists very clearly now. This uh, geog- The geographical areas that are more power obsessed can't get rid of COVID. They need to signal virtue. They need to form groups and stay cool because they're empty inside for the precise reason that they cannot stand alone as complete individuals like Dr. Peter McCullough, Robert Kennedy Jr., Martin Koldorf, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya can do. It's because these uh, these people who are so um, obsessed with power and so focused on the short-term accrual of status, they never realize how to fix their own misery. Deeper characters like the ones listed above, she says, will achieve the status of greatness over the long term. But that's not what motivates them. It is inherent to greatness not to be motivated by being great. And I love the way she puts this into context. The truly great risk everything for a conviction, an idea. The triumph of the conviction creates the happiness, not the achievement of greatness. People are chasing the wrong things when they chase status for status's sake. It doesn't work. It's the doing very hard things, taking hits, enduring scorn and ridicule, and staying upright. That's what makes a person fulfilled. And she says, I guarantee the apparent losers in the COVID war are happier than the apparent winners. So, this Atlantic writer of whom Malone speaks is hopelessly lost. He will live a shallow life chasing shiny things, shiny things rather, and be forgotten. Malone may lose the battle, maybe he'll even lose the war, but she says he will know at the end of the day that he did so daring greatly. He's actually doing things, taking risks, throwing punches in the arena. He's living. He's free. No one defines him but himself. That's what we all get. We anti-lockdowners. We are still free. If we lose this fight and along with it our freedom, well, at least we haven't given it up without a fight. They can never take away our ability to look ourselves in the mirror and know that we tried. Stacy Rudin says there's a spiritual chasm between Dr. Malone and his Atlantic detractor. And she's purposely doesn't link to the Atlantic article. But she says that chasm is dictating the global COVID disaster. Until people re-examine their misplaced trust and motivations behind their own actions, whether it's status or comfort, we remain stuck. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, what does that have to do with me, though? Well, you have a similar decision to make. I mean, maybe you're not trying to put a message out there on a national or worldwide platform or stage. But I can promise you that you still have influence. And however big or small that circle of influence is that could be drawn around you. Why do you do what you do? I'm guessing that you would not even give this program a moment of your consideration if you weren't a person who was somewhat driven, if not primarily driven, by a motivation to get to the truth. For whom the truth matters than things like status or personal comfort or acclaim or anything like that. And there's no doubt about it, this is a tough time. This is a, it's a scary time to be speaking the truth because it can bring some consequences that not everybody is willing to face. I count myself extremely blessed and fortunate that right now I am in the most independent position I've ever been in in my life. And you know what? There's some risk involved in that. But I'm standing on my own two feet, doing what I can within my circle of influence. And I'm encouraging you to do the same
0: and to know it's worth the peace in your conscience. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. Alright, welcome back to the show. Again, thank you for choosing
1: to. Thanks for choosing to be a part of this audience. If you find value in this, I would encourage you please let other people know. Subscribe to get my show notes, just go to the so, in the last segment, I was sharing with you a commentary from Stacy Rudin, and I want to share with you. I've I've shared this on the show before, but I'm assuming there may be some new listeners, and this is from uh, October of last year. Actually, October of year before last. So, this October of 2020. Who deserves your trust in the COVID debate? And this rings just as true now as uh, as it did back then. Stacy Rudin says. Stoic philosopher Epictetus believed that honorable character and a life of wisdom begin with a clear understanding of one basic principle. Some things are within our control, and some things are not. How we are perceived by others, our our popularity, is ultimately outside our control. We should focus on character, not reputation, because trying to control or change what we can't only results in torment. Torment. The year 2020 has revealed this to be true. In fact, she says many Americans, especially affluent types, prioritize reputation over character, and it has indeed resulted in torment. In the COVID debate, she says there's a mainstream popular narrative and a competing unpopular narrative, a fringe. The former exploits the common, mediocre desire to be popular. Joining a movement's easy. It results in backpaths, validation, and requires no uncomfortable confrontations. This narrative states that it's impossible for humanity to survive the COVID-19 pandemic without a vaccine, lockdowns, and masks, some combination of which will be required into the indefinite future. Now, The narrative supports blaming others for infecting you with diseases rather than encouraging personal responsibility for immune and general health proponents of the competing narrative on the other hand must stand up to massive social forces simply to make their arguments which are not radical they support a return to classic pandemic management tools the same ones used by sweden and other states and countries which did not lock down for covid-19 which resulted in average mortality for 2020 and they did not be- they don't believe this pandemic warrants a complete overhaul of the economic social and educational systems They believe that every human being should be empowered with truthful information about risk and how to best care for personal health and to make his or her own choices. Faced with these competing narratives, we must consider costs and motives. The force of social pressure to conform with the mainstream narrative is large, so we know from the outset that the people willing to argue against it are either insane or extremely driven, courageous, and strong. Now, it's easy to eliminate the possibility that they're crazy. Many of them, such as Elon Musk and the scientists who drafted the Great Barrington Declaration, are giants in their fields. They risk everything, weathering exhausting personal attacks from all sides in order to battle the crowd. Who are these people? What do they gain by doing so? Princeton professor Robert P. George A specialist in moral and political philosophy and the theory of conscience uses the example of slavery to demonstrate that every serious moral dilemma reveals two categories of people. The majority who go along with the popular zeitgeist, no matter how atrocious it is, and the minority who risk their very existence to fight it. Here's what he says, quote, I sometimes ask students what their position on slavery would have been had they been white and living in the South before abolition. Guess what? They all would have been abolitionists. They all would have bravely spoken out against slavery and worked tirelessly against us, against it rather. Now he says, of course, this is nonsense. Only the tiniest fraction of them or any of us would have spoken up against slavery or lifted a finger to free the slaves. Most of them and us would have gone along. Many would have supported the slave system and happily benefited from it so I respond saying I will credit their claims if they can show evidence of the following, that in leading their lives today, they have stood up for the rights of unpopular victims of injustice whose very humanity is denied, and where they have done so knowing, number one, that it would make them unpopular with their peers, number two, that they would be loathed and ridiculed by powerful, influential individuals and institutions in our society, number three, that they would be abandoned by many of their friends, number 4 that they would be called nasty names and number 5 that they would risk being denied valuable professional opportunities as a result of their moral witness in short he says my challenge is to show where they have to risk where they have at risk to themselves and their futures stood up for a cause that is unpopular in elite sectors of our culture today end quote now, that's a very powerful thought exercise Not just for his students, but for each one of us. And it illustrates a point that I know is uncomfortable, but still bears mentioning. Most of us would go along simply to avoid the pain of being on the margins of society. But the truth of the matter is, most people don't want to experience that. They won't put up with it. Stacy Rudin says, Epictetus would recognize these people, those willing to pursue unpopular causes, as people of character. Mature people who create their own merit by forgetting what other people think of them. Epictetus said, never depend on the admiration of others. There is no strength in it. It is a fact of life that other people, even people who love you, will not necessarily agree with your ideas, understand you, or share your enthusiasms. Grow up who cares what other people think of you, end quote. Now, while this path leads to wisdom and respect, she says Epictetus recognizes that it carries a tremendous social cost. That's why only a minority choose it. You may be ridiculed and end up with the worst of everything in all parts of your public life, including your career, your social standing, your legal position in the courts. That happened to abolitionists for decades. It's happening to COVID dissenters now. Dr. Scott Atlas was smeared by 100 of his colleagues at Stanford who then refused to debate the substance of their claims against him. One Google search will reveal dozens of smears against the Great Barrington Declaration and its authors. What do these anti-lockdowners gain by presenting the case to the public? Nothing material, a concept which is difficult for pro-lockdowners to understand. What they gain is security in the knowledge that they fought for truth, justice, and what is right, even to the point of risking everything. This is a privilege. Anti-lockdowners get to stand up for the least powerful in our society, for those who have no voice, for the people who are desperate for their industries to survive, for the small business owners who make just enough to feed their children, for the essential workers who stand in the supermarket checkout day in and day out while their children stay home playing video games in place of school. For the kids in developing countries who walk miles through fields just for a Wi-Fi signal. For the frightened elderly people who haven't hugged a family member in eight months. Keep in mind, this was published in October 2020. For the hospital patients who will die alone and afraid. For the religious congregations prevented from doing outreach. For the families foregoing holidays, birthdays, and travel. For the socially isolated. For the babies who are growing up without seeing smiles. For the special needs kids deprived of their therapies. For the women and children locked home with abusers. For the new patrons of the food bank, the formerly proud career men, newly sunk to the unemployment line. For those driven to drugs or drink. For those whose rehab was suspended. For those considering suicide. For those whose vaccinations and medical treatments have been delayed or canceled. For those wondering if life will ever again be worth living for those who feel that there's nothing left to rely on now that their lives, livelihoods, and educations can be decimated at government whim. Anti-lockdowners believe that all these people, every single one, deserves a voice, a unique vote as to the philosophy of his or her life, and that no one else, even someone vastly more powerful, has the right to override it. By supporting this system of equality and fairness, Anti-lockdowners seek to live in a world built on those principles, which protects themselves, their families, and the world of human beings as a whole. Prioritizing human beings over corporate and government interests. What do the lockdowners gain? Well, she says to answer this question, we need only consider the acceptance of their program benefits. Tech interests, billionaires, pharmaceutical companies, certain political parties, the 1%. The same people who can easily work from home are not harmed by lockdowns, who consider themselves so smart that their decision as to what should be scary must hold for every single person on the planet. No votes are needed because their judgment is so good. Whatever businesses and education systems and social structures need to die must die because they say so. All they need to do is push this system, to push this system is to gain the cooperation of the media, which can be done with dollars alone. And so Stacy Rudin says, ask yourself, who deserves your trust? She says, I would argue that the anti-lockdowners are today's abolitionists. People willing to take up an unpopular cause at incredible risk. Lockdowners may currently be popular, she says, but they are on the wrong side of history. I would say that column has aged very well and held up to the test of time. Again, I've got a link to it in the show notes. Check it out.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I know this hour is
1: like all things Dr. Robert Malone. But uh, if you're serious about finding the truth, and I assume you are, you would not be listening to this show. I think this is a topic worth pursuing. So one of the things I wanted to talk about here is uh, how nothing better illustrates all the open attempts to keep the public from seeing or hearing what certain authoritarians consider unapproved information than how Google is currently trying to memory hole Dr. Malone. I've got an article here from Monica Showalter. This is from uh, AmericanThinker.com, saying that the mass psychosis spell has begun to break, in part, thanks to Dr. Malone's efforts. She says, did the Twitter punks who banned... MRNA vaccine inventor and bona fide vaccine expert, Dr. Robert Malone, just set off the mother of all backfires. Well, she says it kind of looks like it now that they've drawn so much public interest to the man that they've apparently broken the Google algorithm for censoring stories about him. And it started like this Shortly after Malone was banned on Twitter, he did a long interview with Bigfoot podcaster Joe Rogan arguing that the disinformation and repressed information on COVID vaccines was something resembling mass psychosis. Now that term and related ones created widely divergent results between Google and its biggest rival, the more objective DuckDuckGo search engine. In fact, I'm going to play you the audio from a video that I picked up off of Twitter. Um, it's better to watch the video, but you can hear the uh, the person who's creating this describing what, what they're seeing as they Google the terms mass formation psychosis. Check this
2: out. We are witnessing some extreme censorship in real time. If I type in mass formation psychosis, it does not autocorrect. It looks like they've Stopped looking for this specific term. It's just removed from the results. And then if you look at these results, this YouTube video managed to get through. This one's about an anti-vaxxer, calling Malone an anti-vaxxer. This one is from Clark County today. But then if you look over in DuckDuckGo, you see it's the first thing that comes up because so many people are searching for it. And then the results are completely different with Dr. Mullen's post as the first result. And tons of fantastic, popular posts about mass formation psychosis. We are witnessing censorship in real time.
1: It's an amazing video. It's a minute long. It's worth your time to see it. And the crazy thing about it is, you know, when he's talking about he says auto correct, but he means auto populate, you know, Google's very good, scarily good at uh, completing your sentences. It's it's like it's like a lifelong lover. Like we can finish each other's sentences. You start to type something into that Google search bar and it'll it'll give you oftentimes exactly, you know, what are you looking for. But he's right. You try to type in mass formation psychosis and It has, it wants, first of all, it wants nothing to do with Dr. Malone. But when he does come up, the only thing you first see about him is anti-vaxxer tells Joe Rogan America is like Nazi Germany. Yeah, there's nothing loaded in that headline. Pretty crazy stuff. Why should this matter to you? You know, this ought to be, going back to Monica Showalter's article here, this ought to be kind of embarrassing, to Twitter and to the rest of the tech barons trying to stomp Dr. Malone out from any internet media presence based on his inconvenient ideas about the risks of mRNA vaccines. And she says, although Malone is a giant in his field and hard to discredit the way they can do with assorted pipsqueaks out there, somehow they think they need to silence the man. On Google, they try to paint him as a nut, a conspiracy theorist, a vaccine skeptic, a Nazi, based on the search results they try to throw up. But the truth got out anyway, and their manipulated algorithms have been exposed, discrediting them, and in any case, not working. I know on Twitter, mass mass formation psychosis is definitely trending. I'm doing my best to help it trend, too, (laughs) because I want to push back against them. All they managed to do, says Monica Showalter, is to promote him bigger than ever generating so much public interest in, in his ideas that the, and warnings that they busted the Google algorithms. Twitter's cats and jammer kids who started this ought to go into public relations. One wonders what the conversations must be like right now between Twitter and Google barons. And she's got a funny meme, you know, of the most interesting man in the world from the, uh, what is it, the uh, Dos Equis uh, commercial. I don't always lose a half million followers on Twitter, but when I do, I gain 50 million views on Rogan. Monica Showalter says, what's more, the idiots created huge numbers of Malone-related terms on Twitter itself with people passing around thousands of shares of Malone speaking with hashtags under Malone. Joe Rogan, mass psychosis and related words. Now, again, it's a three-hour long podcast, and she does have a link to that in the article, but the valuable little clips are easily spotted through these hashtags on Twitter. See, they're pretty good at their own goals, too, over at Twitter. And it's significant because Malone has big techs, big politics, and big pharma's numbers, and they've got a target painted on his back in response. Malone's pointed out that many of the more insane and counterproductive public health measures going around have been brought on by conflicts of interest and a revolving door between medical researchers, big pharma and public health officials. Profit motives, she says, are quite operative. Malone on the Rogan podcast, for instance, pointed out that Reuters does a lot of fact-checking for Twitter and it has a top executive sitting on the Pfizer board. Hello, conflict anyone? Malone's revelations are a threat to a lot of rice bowls right there, but he hasn't stopped. As the writer of an otherwise ugly Atlantic hit piece written about Malone has correctly noted, I've listened to hours of Malone's interviews and read through the many pages of documents he's posted. He is a knowledgeable scientist with a knack for lucid explanation. Precisely. That explains some of his popularity. His penchant for truth explains the rest. The Atlantic, owned and reportedly directed editorially by Apple fortune heiress Lauren Powell's Powell Jobs, landed the first hit on Malone back in August. The article tried to claim that Malone was an insignificant, unimportant guy who exaggerated his accompli- accomplishments rather and didn't play well with others. It was badly sourced and supported only by the statements of jealous rivals whose conflicts of interest went unmentioned in the piece. There was a little warning that he'd screwed up his Nobel Prize for Medicine for his work in the piece, which contradicted the other claims in the piece about him being unimportant and inclined to inflate his name, or inflate his resume, rather. Now, Nobel committees don't normally bother with such characters, except in the literature and peace categories. Malone noted on Rogan's show that the reporter kept asking him again and again, Who is paying you? Whose interests are you acting on behalf of? That sounds like a command from his betters at The Atlantic, actually. Monica Showalter says, I've experienced that kind of command from his betters at the. Uh, uh, I've experienced that kind of call to target from news executives myself in my long journalism career. No, she says, it wasn't IBD. So I know it happens. But she says, Someone was directing the reporter to bring that answer. Bring back the answer to that question in a broader bid to discredit Dr. Malone. The Atlantic's claim that Malone didn't get along with others was ridiculous, too. Malone is sharp and certain in his views because he knows so much about his topic. The Atlantic's charge is ridiculous because it's so weak and subjective in content. The topic is the inventor of the mRNA vaccine, and all they can come up with is, well, he doesn't play well with others. Seriously, is that the best they could come up with? Sharp certainty is pretty characteristic of great scientists and scholars, actually. Has this dupe ever talked to Milton Friedman? Everyone except Joe Biden knows that Friedman, a giant in economics, was right in his ideas. Friedman's persona was an icily certain one because that's the way such scholars actually are. It's the NTJ reading on the Meyer-Briggs personality scale, which is precisely where major scientific researchers are typically found. It's actually no biggie. The ignorance that was revealed with that particular claim about him not being nice enough to other researchers so nobody should pay attention to his scientific discoveries struck out as particularly stupid. Apparently, this writer, a poor little feller named Tom Bartlett, believed that Malone needed to be more like him, going along to get along. it doesn't work that way if you want to break new ground on something, doofus. Monica Showalter says Malone's expansive interview with Rogan is chock full of information about the origins of COVID, the manipulations and maneuvers of public health decisions, the story of how India broke the COVID death cycle, and a whole lot of other things that can discredit entirely the COVID industrial complex. And again, she links to the interview if you haven't found it elsewhere. There's probably several articles in my show notes today that will get you there. She says it's heartening to see this kind of information draw so much public interest now that the COVID edifice is crumbling. Better still, Malone has dealt Google a blow, that, one that overwhelmed it at long last and perhaps the first of many to come. Sorry if I sound like a one-note symphony today by uh, talking about Dr. Malone, but this matters. Your ability to get truth without it having to run through the filters of someone who knows better than you. It's really important if you want to be a free-thinking individual.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.